Welcome back to Lantondojo Podcast. With this season, we aim to share a variety of resources available in addressing sexual and domestic violence for residents in Washington, D.C. greater area. On today's episode, we had a pleasure speaking with Project Peace Coordinator Candice Lopez. Welcome to Lantondojo Podcast. On January 25th, uh, Lanton Dojo partnered with uh, Project Peace of the Arlington County to host its first event. Um, it is a panel. It was a panel discussion to engage in a conversation um, to teach the members of our community the signs of domestic violence and abusive relationship. And today we have a huge pleasure to have Candice Lopez, uh, the coordinator and program manager of Project Peace. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Uh, what if we start with the introduction about the organization and, um, and your commitment to it? Absolutely. So Project Peace, um, Peace is actually an acronym. It stands for Partnering to End Abuse in the Community for Everyone. And we are a community-wide effort to prevent, identify, and respond to domestic and sexual violence here in Arlington County, Virginia. Our efforts are really to aim uh, to enhance the safety of victims, to hold abusers accountable for their actions, and to improve the well-being of all of the citizens and visitors impacted by interpersonal violence here in our community. So our main focus, as I mentioned, is really on intimate partner violence and sexual assault. Um, we are what's considered a coordinated community response, um, which is a national best practice to addressing these issues in a community. And what that means is that we really um, only work through a collaboration of people who either respond to or work to prevent uh, domestic and sexual violence here in the community. And so our membership includes folks from our police department, from our sheriff's department, our commonwealth attorney or district attorney's office, the local nonprofits that work to answer hotlines, shelters, um, schools, uh, faith communities, essentially anyone in our community who would be in the position to potentially prevent violence or respond to violence, we want them at our table. And at that table, we get together every month to talk about how the issues are impacting our community and to make sure we're working together to really address the issues and remove systemic barriers to folks getting services. And so we've been doing that now for about 14 years. We actually started in 2006. And so we've been having these folks come to the table and really work together um, to build a better community that's able to respond um, to folks who are impacted by domestic and sexual violence. That's awesome. I think that, um, like you said, it's like a best practice to collaborate with all these uh, organizations. Is I think it's the best way to go, and uh, and that's one of the reason also Lantondahil joined the project piece because we also want to stop this, and especially that we have a lot of Mongolian community in Arlington County. So it was. It's awesome um, that we get to connect with you and with uh, Project Peace. Yeah, I'm so excited. You know, <laughs> you know, 
we really believe that Arlington is a peaceful and respectful community, you know, where diversity is celebrated and where violence is not tolerated in any community. You know, we really want to make sure that everyone in our community, regardless of, you know, their, their background, the language they speak, their race, um, the communities they live in, everybody knows that there is help if they encounter um, these issues of domestic and sexual violence in their lives and that nobody um, is alone in this and that as a community we really can work best when we work together mm-hmm. and so we're really glad that you've joined us in this effort um, mm-hmm. to make sure that everyone in our community um, and especially those that are most vulnerable in our community children and others who you know know the services are there and can get the help when they need it. Mm-hmm. How about um, like we asked uh, how you start with the project piece and uh, uh, what got you into um, project just your personal study? Oh, sure. Um, so I actually started working in the field of um, sexual assault and domestic violence prevention when I was in college. Um, I went to the University of Colorado um, here in the United States, and I really um, got involved with the peer education group. And what we did is we went around and um, you know, did presentations for other sets of college students, for athletes, for um, sororities, for social groups, um, to really raise awareness about the um, impacts of dating violence and sexual assault on college students. Um, And I really got aware of it myself through some of the studies that I had. Um, I was a women's studies major, which means I was reading a lot and learning a lot about how women in particular had been impacted by um, systems in our country. And one of the things that I found so profound was the number of women and girls who are impacted by gender-based violence. And so when we look at domestic and sexual violence, you know, it's really not, um, it doesn't happen just to, to anyone. Um, we know that the majority of people who experience domestic or sexual violence is, as victims are women. Um, and we know that the majority of people who have perpetrated those things have been men. Um, and I really wanted to understand more about that and to raise awareness about it because it didn't make sense to me that, you know, these issues would affect certain genders. Mm-hmm. Um, and you learn, as you learn more about the issues, you learn more about, you know, gender inequality and how that um, has impacted um, violence and how that's allowed violence to happen, you know, more to women than men. Um, and so I, through my studies and through my activism, really got into um, wanting to raise more awareness knowing the number of women who are and girls who are impacted, we know that, you know, about one in four to one in three women across the world are impacted by domestic or sexual violence in their lifetime. And that's just unacceptable to me. Um, so from college, I actually left and I became a campus organizer and I worked with college students all over the country um, to raise awareness on their campuses about sexual assault and dating violence. And so I would go to college campuses and help them create, you know, presentations or create Um, campaigns to raise awareness and to get their universities to be better about responding to these issues. Um, After I left that world, I actually worked here in Arlington at our local domestic violence program in Arlington, which is um, Doorways. And I worked at the Safe House Shelter, where we housed women who were fleeing domestic violence situations. And um, I answered a hotline. And I think that's really where I found my passion for doing direct service work and working directly with people who had been impacted. Um, from there, I worked and I ran the National Sexual Assault Hotline for the country um, at Rain, and again, got to see how um, this issue really impacted 
you know, women and men across the country, and more specifically children. Uh, when I was at Rain, I really got introduced to the number of children who were impacted by sexual abuse. Um, and it was a really high number. I, 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 under, I was not quite aware of how many children were impacted. Um, but again, we know it's one in four girls and one in six boys under the age of 18 who are impacted by child sexual abuse. Um, so all of those kind of experiences um, led me to this place now where I get an opportunity to affect policy change. My experience working in prevention on college campuses, my experience, you know, answering hotlines and my experience working in safe house shelters um, now allows me to look from the bird's eye view of how do all those systems work together? Um, how could we work better together? Um, what can we really do to make an impact so that we can reduce those numbers that I mentioned earlier of women and girls who are impacted by this type of violence? Um, how can we help boys and men, you know, have better relationship experiences and feel comfortable, you know, exp expressing a range of emotions? Um, so all of those experiences, I think, led me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. I will also say that with, you know, the high rates of women who are impacted, I know handfuls of women survivors and victims who I call family members and friends. You know, I know people intimately who have been impacted by this by this work, whether they have abused people or they have been victims themselves. Um, and so that work, that personal connection also keeps me uh, motivated and, and driven to this work. That's, that's a great story. I, I mean, you have like vast experience and I think you certainly are in like the right person <laughs> um, <laughs> um, for project piece, I'm sure. <laughs> I have, I have a question. Uh, at the during the event on January twenty fifth, uh, we had uh -huh. you know many amazing speakers, and one of them um, just made me think about the communities that we have in in in, in our county. Um, actually, Lieutenant, if I'm if I remember correctly, Lieutenant Pilko, right? Yeah. Uh, from the police department, when he was talking about his personal experience uh, of of being from the you know immigrant. Uh, having an immigrant background and, you know, dealing with many issues that immigrant families uh, face, uh, both documented and undocumented. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm the, the reason I'm, I'm addressing this issue is many services, in this case, services offered by Project Peace, people are afraid to reach out because of, because the main you know, challenge that prevents them to do so is the is the question of um, you know the fear of being being asked of their you know immigrant status or stuff like that. So my question would be, what are the common challenges that, in your experience, uh, immigrant communities face? I I think you hit the hit the nail on on a lot of them. Um, I think one of the fears that a lot of immigrant communities face is um, from the from the very foundational, are they going to speak my language? Are they going to understand me? Um, are they going to um, understand the situation I'm in? Is the situation I'm in, is there anything wrong with it? You know, sometimes we have folks who have lived in countries where um, domestic violence is not a crime. And so coming to the States, uh, where it is a crime, uh, people don't know, or they're unaware of what the laws are. So I think there's a lot of fear just of the unknowns 
you know, um, and rightly so. There are a lot of communities, and I think we see it in um, the news, who haven't responded well to immigrant communities. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a, it's a um, realistic fear, um, but we really try in our community to make sure that people know that in, in Arlington, a lot of those resources are available and a lot of the first responders are trained to really assist people and meet them where they are. You know, we really work on ensuring that our first responders know that they always need to use in, interpreters or translators, um, that we're not using children or family members to interpret. You know, that's, that's another fear is, is my whole community going to know what's going on? Are they going to ask my child what happened to me? Are they going to use the person who hurt me to translate or interpret for me? Um, and so, you know, I, I think those, I understand why those fears are there. And as a community, we work to not only ensure people that those fears aren't there, but then also make sure that that's not the response that they're going to get right through training, through support for um, folks, um, by partnering with organizations like yours, really getting the word of mouth out there that these services are available, that they are safe, um, and that they can be accessed by anyone in our community, regardless of their immigration status, regardless of the languages they speak, um, and regardless of, of their gender. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, um, the partners in the Peace Project, they offer their services basically uh, free, right? And uh, can you mention some of those organizations that are available that can absolutely yeah absolutely um, all of the services that um, the partners at Project Peace offer are free the majority of them are confidential and the majority of them can be accessed in the language in any language that they need it in and regardless of like I said immigration status and so one of the main resources we have as you mentioned is the Arlington County Police Department. So the Arlington County Police Department is one of our partners um, who obviously responds to crisis and emergency situations, um, but they also respond to non-crisis situations and can, can be a good point of contact if you're not sure where to go, whether it's their emergency line, 911, or their non-emergency number. Um, they can be a, a great first point of contact if someone feels safe reaching out. If someone doesn't feel safe reaching out there, there's a lot of different options. So for example, we have a 24-hour hotline called Doorways here in Arlington. Their number is 703. 237-0881. That's 703-237-0881. And they are there 24-7 to respond to any questions, concerns, um, or crisis situations that involve sexual assault or domestic violence. Whether you're a child, a teenager, or an adult, you can call that hotline and somebody will be there to answer any question you have at any time of day. Um, and that person can also make referrals to other services. If somebody needs counseling services, they offer free counseling services, they can make a referral. If someone needs housing, they can make housing referrals. If someone is in immediate need of shelter and they're in an unsafe situation, they can, they themselves can provide shelter through their safe house program. Um, they also provide hospital accompaniment. So if somebody was assaulted and they needed to go to the hospital for medical care or for forensic evidence collection. So for example, if somebody was um, punched, maybe they need to get the bruises photographed. Um, doorways will go with that person to the hospital and be an advocate with them and sit there with them and answer any questions they have. All of that's free. Um, and, and all of those folks are trained. They've got, you know, 40 plus hours of training to do that work and to support people. Um, then we also have the hospital itself, the FACT department, that's F-A-C-T. They provide 
um, forensic evidence collection, um, and really just a place to answer questions you have about any medical concerns you have related to the assault. You know, when somebody's hurt, when somebody's been um, sexually assaulted or somebody's been punched or hit or kicked or strangled even, they need medical care. You know, that's that's uh, an immediate medical need. And so the fact department can help them there. And again, those services are all all free um, and available to people. Um, we also have, we, we work with Legal Services of Northern Virginia and Just Neighbors. Just Neighbors provides free immigration services. They can help folks navigate some of the visa systems related to violence. If someone's looking for a U visa or a T visa because they've experienced domestic violence here or in their home country, um, Just Neighbors can answer those questions for free. And legal services can help with other kinds of legal issues outside of immigration, whether it's uh, protective orders or other kinds of, of legal needs. Um, the list can go on and on. And on our, on our website, I would encourage folks to check it out. Um, you go to arlingtonva.us, that's A-R-L-I-N-G-T-O-N-V-A dot U-S, and you search Project Peace. And our website has all of our partners um, with links to their websites. You can find out more about their services. Um, but there is no wrong door. No matter where you go to one of our partners, they should be able to offer the support and the assistance um, that you need to get to the next um, step in your healing journey if you've experienced these issues. Mm -hmm. Oh, and can I mention one more thing? I'm sorry. Um, the hotlines aren't just for aren't just for people who've experienced violence. If you know somebody, right? A lot of us know friends or family members who are in situations that just feel really unsafe or they're violent. If you have questions about how to help that person, you don't know what to do, you can call the hotline and ask questions. Um, and, and every country typically has some kind of domestic violence hotline. Every state has a domestic violence hotline. Um, there's a national hotline in the United States. So any of those hotlines can answer questions for anyone. It doesn't have to be just the person. Uh, it's all of our jobs to step in and support people who have been impacted by violence. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I just wanted to, um, you know, uh, wanted to talk about main goals that we set for our organization this year. Um, as you know, Lantondokia USA is a Virginia-based, uh, officially registered nonprofit. And one of our main goals this year was to increase our, you know, interaction with, uh, with the community and with, uh, with um, organizations to uh, uh, organizations in the, in, the, in the county and in the state. Um, but, you know, a lot of concerns were about what if the, the issues are only Arlington, you know, for example, Ar Arlington County specific. And when you talk about, you know, advocating for policy changes, are you talking about county specific or perhaps for the state policies? The reason I'm asking is, for example, we want to learn what measures and what uh, changes have been done uh, and what could be implemented, what same things can be implemented perhaps back in our country to, you know, address the issues. Yeah, so I'm actually talking at every level, um, county, regional, and state. Well, I guess not every, because I'm not talking national. Um, but so we look first at local county policies. So for example, um, we just put out our new sexual assault response team protocol. And that is a, is a four agency um, policy. It's a countywide policy on how we, as a, the 
as a community work together to respond to sexual assault. And it's how four agencies are specifically worked together to do that. So we work on local policy to strengthen our response and then also to strengthen um, funding for local programs and things like that. Then regionally, um, there's a coordinated community, respo community response like Project Peace in all of our neighboring jurisdictions. We get together quarterly and we talk about, okay, what are you all doing? How are things going in Fairfax? Okay, here's how things are going in Arlington. How are things going in Loudoun? And we look to see if there's any points where we can kind of come together to promote either regional or state policy um, to benefit survivors and victims. Um, and then at the state level, uh, while we don't go and do any specific lobbying, um, we do have uh, a delegate, Delegate Levine, who sits on our Project Peace um, Leadership Council, Senator Barbara Favola, who actually founded our Project Peace when she was a um, board member here in Arlington. She's now a state senator for Virginia. She also, um, you know, comes to our events and things. And so when they, they will at, at different points ask us if we have um, questions about legislation or ideas or thoughts on how things could be strengthened. And so we do provide feedback to legislators um, on things that are going through um, session um, on how to you know, strengthen them or implement them and those kinds of things. And so we absolutely could connect Montendau to some of those um, organizations or as we have, our, as we do updates in our meetings about legislation, um, you know, those are opportunities to learn more as well. Yeah. Um... And um, I know that um, you have a meetings, um, you have three goals, and then you have a task, a task force implementation meeting. And uh, can you just um, just um, briefly discuss about like the goals? And then I know we joined goal one and three. Um, how, how about you explain a little more in detail? <laughs> in detail. Yeah. So um, Project Peace, our uh, structure is, like I said, we have all these different member agencies and we're kind of a tiered structure. And so at the very top, we have our leadership roundtable and our leadership roundtable is actually uh, chaired by um, one of our county board members, Katie Crystal. So we always have a county board member who is, uh, who, you know, is part of making policies um, and countywide decisions in our community, um, we always have somebody in that co-chair role. So she co-chairs that with another county leader at our Department of Human Services. So they come together quarterly with the leaders of all of the different agencies we work with um, to kind of see what Project Peace is working on and make decisions about moving forward. You know, like for example, if we're um, suggesting a policy change in some way, and we would take it up to our leadership council and they would say, yes, this looks great, move forward. Or they would say, hey, can you consider a few more things? Or, you know, hey, we're not ready for this. Mm -hmm. um, below our leadership roundtable is our implementation task force. That's where folks are meeting to govern the work of our goal groups. Our goal groups are the ones who are really working every month to advance our strategic plan. And so every four years, we put together a plan of what the different goals are for the groups. So for example, our group one really focuses on prevention. Their goal is to stop violence before it happens. And so all of their goals are structured around prevention. So one of their goals is to work with the schools and to make sure that every child in the school system is getting information and education on consent and healthy relationships. Um, they may also do community campaigns to make sure that adults are aware of what kids are learning or adults know how to, you know, talk to their kids about these issues as well. 
our group two works on crisis response. So that's really where we're looking at what happens when you call the police? What happens when you call the hotline? What happens when you show up at the hospital? Are those systems working? Do people know those numbers? Are people getting resources and services? Are people connecting in a timely manner to support? Um, that's what that group works on. And so, for example, right now they're looking at training. They're working on, okay, what kinds of trainings do our first responders need? You know, if, if a fire, if an ambulance goes out to a house, how are they able to assess, hey, this is an unsafe situation. I need to get support for the folks who are here. How are other, you know, community responders able to identify domestic violence and sexual assault and intervene when necessary? So that's what they're working on. Our group three looks at those ongoing services. What are those kind of long-term services that somebody would need? Um, so, for example, we know that domestic violence is one of the number one reasons for homelessness for women and children in the United States. And so housing is a big issue for women and children after they've left a domestic violence situation. And so our goal three is looking at, do we have enough housing stock for folks who have left violent homes? You know, there might be some specific security needs that someone who's fleed a domestic violence situation might need. Maybe they need to have an apartment that's not on the first level, right? Maybe they need to um, have something that's measure accessible because they lost their, their, their car was their partner's car and now they have to be able to get to work. So do we have enough kind of accessible housing for folks in those situations? We have also look at, at mental health services. You know, um, if somebody was abused 10 years ago, but didn't get any help at that time, they still need help. You know, they still might wake up with flashbacks and thoughts of what happened. And so what are the services for that person? What are the mental health services available? Are there barriers, barriers to those services? Are those services accessible for free? Um, those kinds of things. And so we really look at those ongoing services for folks. So we're really looking from the list of, hey, we, want, we don't even want violence to happen at the first place. And then if it does happen, what are the things that we're doing to course correct after and then really support that person? Um, and so our goal is to meet monthly to work on their different agendas. So that's three different meetings a month. And as they kind of move forward on their agendas, when they get to a place where they say, okay, we have a product or we have an idea or we have a policy, then they kind of roll it up the chain to get approval. Um, so we're an interestingly structured age of collaborative, I think, because we've got so many layers. Um, but I, what I like about it is that means that every level of what we do, there's investment from our partners at every level of what they do as well. That's that's great. Um, speaking of projects uh, and all those great services that are available, um, what are um, some of the projects that promote that's kind of rolling out um, in the near future. I, I've heard that there's a project called Being Men, Raising Men, um, mm -hmm. like uh, Consent Summit, and um, which is planned to be soon. Can you explain those a little bit? If you yeah, our, our prevention group has a lot going on. They, they're really working hard. Um, they have, as you mentioned, a, an initiative called Being Men, Raising Men. Um, as I was talking about my own personal journey, I was talking about that gender divide, right? That idea that um, violence um, is gender-based, that more women are victims of violence and more men are perpetrators of violence and when it comes to interpersonal violence. And we think a lot of that has to do with, with gender roles, has a lot to do with kind of the boxes 
that women feel they're put in, the boxes that men feel they're put in around the types of emotions they're able to show, around the types of things they're able to do in relationships, what's a man's role in a relationship, what's a women's role in a relationship, those kinds of things. And so one of the things we want to do is we want to challenge kids to think outside those boxes. We want to challenge boys and men in particular to think outside of just being angry or having aggression. What are the other types of emotions they can have? What are the other types of relationships they can have? Um, and how can we really make that idea of like being a man kind of more fluid um, and more uh, approachable? Yeah. And so, one of, so that, that effort is really to work with middle school boys to get their ideas of what it means to be a man and what gender means to them. And then to really look at how we can, as a community, address those issues related to, to um, those gender boxes, as we call them. Um, then we have a consent summit where we're working with a teen group here in Arlington to actually um, create a one-day youth conference all around consent. And so it's very broad. They are going to have speakers who are talking about healthy relationships, who are talking about, um, you know, consent, talking about sex trafficking, talking about, um, you know, dating and substances, talking about all kinds of issues that affect young people and their inabilities or abilities to have healthy relationships. And so that's going to be a one-day conference by Youth for Youth that we're planning in May. Um, the other initiative we have is a trusted adult campaign initiative where we're creating a community awareness campaign. Think of think like posters or, you know, PSA, public service announcements or, you know, little trainings um, on how to be a trusted adult. Mm -hmm. We know that especially to support kids and to help kids in today's world, um, we as adults need to know how to, to listen to kids and how to be there for them, and how to really support them on their journey to becoming healthy adults. And so we really want to work with parents and teachers and other folks on understanding what does it mean to be a trusted adult? What does it mean to partner with youth and for youth, and to support them in a way that is positive and helpful as they journey towards adulthood? Um, so that's the other initiative that they're working on. That's that's great uh, because there's so many um, these projects available and a lot of the times uh, immigrants or people don't know these, you know, they don't have the information. And um, I think that that's one of the reasons that uh, I want to be involved and share all these great projects and training that's happening so that you know, parents will be more educated, the kids will be more educated. And just just being educated is kind of a way to prevent from, you know, all these um, violence and, you know, human trafficking, child abuse. I think uh, prevention is a big key and the education is definitely a huge, um, huge thing. And um, I am very happy to, involved with Project Peace because we can just provide so much information to uh, our community and um, and um, just my that's my take on um, joining Project Peace. Um, what other ways Lantundakya can help uh, the community and help Project Peace? 
I, I think the biggest thing is, is what you've already done, which is taking the step to join us and be at the table. Um, I think having your voices at the table, sharing your ideas and your thoughts about how we can um, ensure that we are also including the Mongolian community in the efforts that we have to make sure that to, to just bring other ideas that we haven't thought of. You know, I, I think that's what I love about collaboration so much is everyone around the table comes from different background um, in the work that they've done and the schooling they've had and the experiences they've had with these issues. Um, but we all share the common core of wanting to create a world free of domestic and sexual violence. So it's the, the thing that we all coalesce around the, the ending domestic and sexual violence brings us together. Um, but all of our shared, ex our, our different experiences is what makes our collaborative so um, effective because we're able to, I think, move faster and be more nimble because we've got so many different types of people around the table, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think that's the first step is just, just being at the table and sharing your voice, I think will help us move mountains um, in, in how we really engage our entire community um, because it really is, you know, it really is a coordinated community response, which means it's not just the folks who are answering the hotlines, it's all of us. Um, and the more we can get everyone to the table, um, the more effective we're going to be. And the collaboration is key because, uh, you know, each organization have strengths and weaknesses. And so working together is kind of, mm -hmm. we fill in each other's gaps. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, our last question would be um, from what we've encountered many times in our experience is, a lot of people think that domestic and sexual violence is not is not their issue. You know, it's you know I'm I, I'm trying to talk about you know bystander effect and uh, mm -hmm. question would be why is it important for each person um, and what can they do to you know play their role in preventing it and perhaps helping someone in need. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, <clears throat> this is an issue that affects all of us, um, whether whether we think that it does or not. Right. So how do we um, ensure that people see it, how, how it does affect them? Um, one of the ways that we really encourage bystander intervention is by talking about the numbers of people that are affected by these issues and really talking about the number of people who know somebody who's been impacted by these issues. Um, through that, we can really talk about how um, we can intervene and what are the, the right ways to intervene. Because I think the, the problem is not that we don't see it around us, it's that a lot of times we don't know how to intervene. And so I, I truly believe that it's more of a fear that keeps us from intervening than it's not my problem. You know, because it's that idea of opening Pandora's box. Once I intervene, once I say something, then it's my problem too, and I have to deal with it. Um, or I'm not sure how to deal with it. That real fear of, I don't know what I'm gonna to say to this person. I don't know how to help them. Um, or because these are interpersonal issues, we often, as a friend, family bystander, we know both people involved. We might know the victim. We might also know the, the person who's being abusive. Um, and we might even be the person who's being abusive's friend and more so their friend than the person who's, who's the victim. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really need to kind of understand this as 
um, an issue that we all have an ability to impact. And so I think in our education, we have to focus on how do you recognize the warning signs? Because it's always easier for a bystander to recognize the warning signs of someone who's in the relationship, right? When you're in a relationship, you've kind of got those rose-colored glasses on. You know, everything looks better. Um, and we minimize any violence that we see. Oh, maybe they just had a bad day or, you know, oh, they won't treat me like that again. Or, um, oh, I, I know the better than that. Um, we minimize a lot, but outsiders can see. So if our friends and family are trained as the outsiders to see the warning signs, um, to see the um, emotional abuse, to see financial abuse, to see physical abuse, and then to know what to do to intervene, to know how to address that person. You know, when we see a victim to be able to say, you know, hey, I'm really concerned about you. What's going on? Or I saw the way that, um, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend uh, yelled at you and that really made me feel uncomfortable. How did it make you feel? You know, we really give people the tools to say something in a way that's comfortable and to allow that friend to open up. It's not as scary as feeling like, oh, I'm going to step in and break somebody up or I'm going to step in and break up a family. Um, It's really just opening the door to support. And I think when people have the tools to do that, they feel more comfortable. So in a lot of our trainings, as I mentioned, that's what we focus on is how do you recognize the warning signs? Then how do you say something? Um, and then how do you know when to hand them off to somebody else? You know, I can step in as a friend and be able to say, hey, I'm concerned. Hey, I'm worried. Um, do you want to talk to somebody? But then I'm going to hand them off to one of those Project Peak partners. I'm going to say, hey, let's call the hotline together. Hey, let's call the hospital together. Hey, let's call the police. Mm-hmm. Um, those warm handoffs are critical. Um, so many times people go to their friends and family or friends and family intervene and they say the wrong thing. And when you say the wrong thing, um, it can have a detrimental effect. You know, that person could withdraw from social support. They could stay in the relationship longer. Um, so it's critical that we know how to intervene safely and that we know that it's our responsibility to do so. Um, you know, this, this is a public health issue. It impacts so many people um, that we all really should be equipped with the knowledge and tools to to step in and say something when we see it. Does that answer your question? I can I can elaborate more, go on more, but I think I'm. Yes, <laughs> I, I I think it's great. You know, I, I'm just, I'm really excited for this partnership that we have formed, um, and really look forward to our outreach opportunities together and ways that we can can reach the Mongolian community in Arlington better. Um, so I just I'm just really thankful for this opportunity to talk with you all to share a little bit about what we're doing, um, in hopes that other communities can learn from us. Um, If other communities are doing interesting things, they should share it our way, too. Um, I think what's nice about the CCR model is, again, that sharing and that collaboration of, you know, it's not about reinventing the wheel. It's about finding things that are working well and then making sure we're doing them all over the place. You know, it's not to me, it's not enough for someone in Arlington to have the best resources and have good supports. Everyone in every community should have good resources and good supports. Um, And so it's how do we kind of share this knowledge so that everyone has access and everyone's working towards a world free of violence. Um, and I just thank you for having me today. And again, thank you for your partnership. And I look forward to seeing what we can do together in the future. Thank you very much. And thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so Absolutely. Much. My pleasure. We're very happy to um, join Project Peace 2 and very thankful to be part of it. Um, thank you so much.
After talking with Project Peace Coordinator Candice, I hope that you learned valuable information and resources available to you. In the upcoming episodes, we will invite professionals from Project Peace Partners. Thank you for listening and have a great day.